When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast, episode 90, Neb Ma'at Rey. Today we begin a new era in Egyptian history, both politically and in terms of ideas. We are entering a very distinct and well-known period, and it begins with the life and reign of Neb Ma'at Rey Amunhotep III, King of Egypt. Amunhotep is one of Egypt's most enduring names, both for his own accomplishments, the times in which he ruled, and the legacy he bequeathed to his heirs. From his divine birth, to his supremely powerful wife and in-laws, to an era of opulence and decadence surpassing anything in history, Amunhotep III's reign is the dawn of Egypt's Gilded Age. You may also know it as the Amarna period. Let's begin. Today's episode is brought to you by Travis Moore and Simon Oliphant. Thank you kindly for your support, folks. May Thoth, Lord of Scribes, make your speech eloquent and your life rich in learning. If you would like to support the show, simply visit EgyptianHistoryPodcast.com to make a donation. As he would have us believe it, Amunhotep III was a man destined for greatness. His life was, from its very beginning, a direct pathway towards the supreme rule of the Kingdom of Egypt. Even the moment of his conception was an event unlike any other. Amunhotep was the son of a woman named Mut-em-Wea. Mut-em-Wea, or the goddess Mut is in her bark, was a royal wife, Chemeth-Nesut, of Tutmos IV. She was not the queen, merely a secondary wife who lived in the royal harem. Her life was comfortable but unremarkable. In fact, she is almost invisible in the record of her husband's reign, which could have been the end of her story, if not for one very strange night. One evening, Mut Emwia lay in her bedchamber at the harem palace of Merwer. It was a hot evening, the royal wife lay in bed, clothed only in translucent linen. Her head resting on a wooden support, she dozed in the oppressive heat of the late summer. The sound of her bedchamber being entered made Mut Emwea open her eyes and smile. There, standing in the doorway, her husband Tutmos IV gazed upon her. His mature body looked stronger than the last time she saw him. He seemed to have gained some muscle and might. His limbs were smooth, his eyes glittered like gems. He was the living image of a god on earth. As Mut Emwea gazed upon the newly vigorous beauty of her husband, Tutmos IV spoke. He revealed himself to her as the god Amun, taking human form in the body of the pharaoh. It was Amun's power that now energized Tutmos, that gave him a special luster. Even in the dark of her bedchamber, the pharaoh seemed to shine with a light of his own. 
What happened next is a tale for the storytellers. Quote, Amun caused Mut Emwia to see him in his form of a god. She rejoiced at the sight of his beauty, and love of him coursed through her limbs. The palace was flooded with the god's aroma. All of his fragrances were like the spices of Punt. Mut Emwia spoke before the majesty of this great god, Amun-Ra, the lord of the two thrones of the two lands. She said, How great is your power! Your dew permeates all of my limbs. Then, his majesty the god did all that he desired with her. End quote. Mutemwia and Amun in the form of Totmos IV coupled. Their lovemaking was presumably out of this world. As he got dressed once again, Totmos Amun turned to his bride and said, The name of this child that I have placed in your body, it is Amunhotep Heka Waset. He shall one day exercise the beneficent kingship in this whole land. He shall rule the two lands like Ray forever. With these words, the great god clothed himself and vanished from the palace. Mut Emwia, sweating and tired, lay back on her bed, thinking on the god's words. Amunhotep, ruler of Thebes, ruler of the two lands like Ray? A bold prophecy, and one which surely gave Mut Emwia much gratitude. As long as she survived childbirth and outlived her husband, she could look forward to a most prestigious and pleasurable future with her son. The child in her womb was perfect, of course. His form had been fashioned by Kunum, the god who made humans on his pottery wheel. The child's breath of life came from Amun himself, and before his physical conception, he had been presented to Amun by Horus, lord of the sky. Goddesses like Hathor and Mut planned for his carriage and birth. From the very beginning, Amunhotep was ordained as a child of heaven. Nine months later, Mut Emwia felt the stirrings in her womb. The moment had arrived, and it was time for the birthing. As she prepared herself for the chamber, she beheld the vision of her guides on this next step of the journey. Mut Emwia was greeted by the figures of Hathor and Kunum, who would support her in this time. Together, the three beings of majesty headed for the chamber. And so, Mut Emwia endured the agonies of childbirth. Screaming and straining, supported by midwives, the royal wife squatted atop a pair of magical bricks, bricks inscribed with the names of Hathor. The room was heavy with incense, as a priestess of Hathor attended and beseeched the goddess for protection. Praying for the safety of Mut Emwia, the attendant women helped her give birth to the son of a god. After many hours of pain and suffering, Mut Emwia passed the worst of her agony. The child emerged healthy and hale. Its cry was vigorous, a sign of the divinity which coursed through its limbs. As the royal wife lay back, utterly drained, a son was presented to her breast. And so, Amunhotep III came into the world. From his first breath, he was destined for the majesty of kingship. The tale of Amunhotep's birth is an elegant fable, carved on the walls of Luxor Temple, about twenty years after he became king. It is a version of a story first pioneered by Queen Hatshepsut, who described herself as the seed of Amun and her own mother. This tale was then picked up by Thutmose III, who used it to legitimise himself in place of his aunt. Now, 
it shows up with Amunhotep, a new iteration of an increasingly classic story. Amunhotep would have us believe that he was conceived and fashioned by the gods, that his own birth was accompanied by their rejoicing. But propaganda aside, there was no ambiguity about his position in the royal family. From a very early age, Amunhotep was promoted as the heir apparent. Although he was too young to participate meaningfully, his life and his public image were shaped by the idea that kingship would one day be his. Amunhotep grew up healthy and strong, for he was the son of a god and a prophesied ruler of the world. His earliest years were spent in the palace at Merwer, where he was beloved by his family and caregivers, and brought smiles to all who met him. He was a little angel, and the very image of a perfect youth, a nefer-nefer. Every mortal, every god, delighted in him. It was a good beginning. Growing up, the prince was surrounded by the comfort and opulence of the royal harem. His tutors were the very best, and his learning was swift and accomplished. Everywhere he went, people acknowledged his future greatness, for he was, besides his father, the greatest man of the two lands. The first recorded appearance of Amunhotep comes from a tomb belonging to a man named Hekar Nehek. Hekar Nehek was a prominent member of the royal harem, the palace in the Fayum called Merwer. There, Hekar Nehek served as a tutor to royal children, educating them in the traditions of scribal literacy. Overall, he taught seven of these royal children, a tiny class of Egypt's future elites. Unfortunately, the scene is damaged by time, so we don't have the names of all of these children. But there is a good chance that these students included a small number of noble children, sons of the elite who would go on to serve in high office. It's like an ancient version of Eton or Harvard, if Harvard suddenly started teaching children as well. Hekar Nehek, whose name means ruler for eternity, was the second member of his family to work as a royal tutor. His own father had educated the future king Thutmose IV, and in this tomb scene we see the two tutors represented along with their charges, which makes for a slightly interesting scene. Let me explain. In the tomb of Hekar Nehek, we see the tutor standing before his father, a man named Hekar Reshu. He is accompanied by the young prince Amunhotep III, who stands just in front of him. This positioning is important. Amunhotep stands in front, but behind Hekar Nehek, there are three pairs of other children, each standing in a register, one on top of the other. The fact that these children are bunched up together tells us that they are relatively minor in status. Significant as Hekar Nehek's students, but merely average compared to the boy at the front. It is Amunhotep III who stands out. Well, Amunhotep and the group in front of him. Hekar Nehek tutored Prince Amunhotep, but he probably got this job because his father had been the tutor for Amunhotep's father, Thutmose IV. And here is where the scene gets interesting. In a strange twist, we see Hekar Nehek and Amunhotep both standing before their respective fathers. What's unusual is that the pharaoh Thutmose is sitting on his tutor's lap. Thutmose IV appears in this scene as a fully-fledged pharaoh. He wears an ornate wig, called a Nubian wig, 
carries a crook scepter and an ankh symbol. On his chest, he wears a heavy pendant, presumably gold, and also a strange kind of top, which almost looks like a sheer or mesh crop top, which makes sense in the climate, but through the eyes of 21st century fashion, makes Tutmos look either like a 90s goth raver or a modern Instagram model. Either way, it's kind of excellent. But I digress. The curious thing about this scene is how Tutmos IV is depicted physically. He appears as a pharaoh with all of the panoply and accompaniments of that, but his body is that of a child, and he sits on the lap of his tutor, Hekareshu. To the best of my knowledge, there is no trace of re-carving, so it looks as though the scene was intended to look like this. I wonder if the pharaoh knew that he was being depicted as a child. That might have made for a tense conversation with the artist. Amunhotep III was perhaps the first prince of the 18th dynasty to be promoted so clearly as the heir to the throne. It's not hard to guess why this is. I can only imagine that his father, who had to fight to gain his power, wanted a smooth transition. By promoting the young boy, Tutmos IV could be assured that his death would not promote any dispute. Keep it simple, stupid. So, when the day finally came, Amunhotep was more than ready. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In 1400 BCE, approximately, Menkeperu-Rei Tutmos IV died. His passing was recorded as, The falcon has flown to heaven. The falcon was Horus, of course, returning to his abode in the sky to unite with Osiris. Now, it was time for a new incarnation of the god. Tutmos's body was taken from the palace to the houses of embalming, either in Memphis or in Thebes. Since Tutmos probably spent most of his life at Memphis, we can guess that he was mummified here, before his body was transported south for burial. So for about 70 days, the embalming houses of the capital were at work. Prince Amunhotep became King Amunhotep on the morning after his father passed away, but he would have to wait some time for his inauguration. So, while his father was being mummified, the new king was preparing for his ascent. The coronation of King Amunhotep III took place either in May or in August. We're not sure, but it's probably one of those two dates. Either way, it was a warm period, relatively speaking. Temperatures in the balmy 30s or high 20s Celsius. The harvest was either just about to begin or just finished. 
the land was at peace. Amunhotep was crowned at Thebes in the Temple of Luxor. The process was relatively simple. Ritual purifications, a lot of chanting and hymns, and then a formal crowning. Amunhotep bowed before two priests, each of whom carried one of the two crowns of the united Egypt. The high priest of Amun brought forth the white crown of Upper Egypt. The high priest of Re brought the red crown of Lower Egypt. The two crowns were placed, white inside of red, atop the brow of the young king. In the sight of gods, priests, and courtly officials, Amunhotep became king of the two lands, the golden Horus, the lord of the Nile. After the anointing and coronation, a herald proclaimed the five names of the new monarch. These names were as follows. The Horus Ka Nakt Ka Em Ma'at, the strong bull who appears in Ma'at. Two ladies, Semen Hepu, Segreb Tawi, who establishes laws, who pacifies the two lands. Golden Horus, Aa Kepesh, Hu Setu, great of strength, smiter of Asiatics. King of Upper and Lower Egypt, Neb Ma'at Re. Re is the lord of Ma'at. The son of Re, Amunhotep Heka Waset. Amunhotep, the ruler of Thebes. End quote. Prince Amunhotep vanished, and the pharaoh Neb Ma'at Re stepped forward. The courtiers hailed his names. The priests gave praise and offerings for his well-being. They prayed for his longevity, that he might celebrate millions of jubilees. They gave thanks that Horus, lord of the sky and the realm, was incarnate in truth once again. The name of the new king, Neb Ma'at Re, is an important one. First of all, it sets a sort of policy agenda, indicating that the new king's focus is on Ma'at, or justice and order. Secondly, it abandons a royal trend that was now more than a century old. The name Neb Ma'at Re is the first name since Tutmos IV, except for Hatshepsut, to not use the word Kepa as part of its structure. Kepa, meaning manifestation or form of Re, was an important concept reflecting royal piety towards the great sun god. Well, Amunhotep moved away from that, for reasons yet unknown. Pharaoh was asserting a slightly new direction, a direction focused on justice, the natural order, on righteousness and truth, all concepts which can be found encapsulated in Ma'at. This came at the expense of theology or mysticism, and it seemed like a turn away from the overt piety of previous rulers. It's a curious choice, and one that I hope to explore as we continue. Funnily enough, the closest comparison to the name Neb Ma'at Re is actually the throne name of Hatshepsut. Hatshepsut had been Ma'at Ka Re. Ma'at is the spirit of Re. Quite similar in construction to the throne name of Amunhotep III. This is a fascinating coincidence, given the political damnation that was meted out to Hatshepsut, but there may be an explanation. Hatshepsut's legacy had been demolished as a matter of political expedience by her nephew. Thutmose III, insecure in his later years, negated the status of his aunt in order to secure the succession of his own son. But that was 50 years ago nearly. Perhaps by 1400, the issue had faded so much that Hatshepsut was not quite so damned. Or, 
perhaps someone was deliberately reviving her legacy. We should remember that Amunhotep III was only 12 years old at most when he came to power. Some historians suggest that he might have been as young as two. Basically, he was a child, so he almost certainly was not making any of the major decisions, like what his throne name would be. So, who was deciding these things? The most likely candidate to be Amunhotep's guide or de facto regent was his mother. Mut Emwia, the widow of Thutmose IV, was now the mother of a reigning king of Egypt. Power and prestige was hers, and if she was not wielding that authority left, right and centre, well, opportunity missed. I'm willing to guess, and this is pure speculation, that Mut Emwia may have chosen Amunhotep's throne name. If this is the case, perhaps the name Neb Ma'at Re was intended to evoke the name of Hatshepsut. Perhaps it was a quiet, unobtrusive way of legitimising a powerful woman, long after political movements had tarnished her legacy. You have to wonder, perhaps there was some lingering reverence for the noble lady, even three generations after her death. Anyway, I digress. Amunhotep came to power as Neb Ma'at Re, and a new era in royal ideology began. Although no one knew it yet, the following decades were going to bring unbelievable majesty and unbelievable upheaval. The new pharaoh would embody all things, and Egypt would never be the same again. On the next episode, we begin the new era with an exploration of the first two years in Amunhotep's reign. The 12-year-old pharaoh was surprisingly active, or at least his caregivers were active on his behalf. The real power, of course, was held by his mother, and we will meet Mut Emwia properly and explore what we know of her life. Then we will see how the 12-year-old pharaoh began his illustrious reign. All that on episode 91. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Just so you know, the podcast will return in three weeks on February 12th. Now that we've reached the milestone of Amunhotep's ascent, it is time for me to take a short break. I'm going to recuperate, re-energize, and also plan a couple of things for the podcast this year, including a proposal that you may be very interested in. Details coming soon. For now, I'm going to go spend a few days at the beach. I'll see you on February 12th. Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.